Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, wherever you are around the world. Uh, welcome to the next episode with, um, of, and I always mess this up, of Travel with Travel This Week with Kushro and Kerwin. <laughs> um, and um, so I hope everyone is doing well. And today we actually have a special guest. Uh, we have Rick Shetty. And um, he is actually in the Philippines at the, at the moment. And uh, Rick has an interesting story. So what we thought is that, you know, we'd splice in some aviation with what's going on in the Philippines. And since uh, I've, I've known Ricky for a little while, I actually met him in Manila in person uh, on one of the trips that I did there. So I'm going to let Ricky tell you a little bit about himself. And then um, we'll find out how the heck he got stranded on an island in the Philippines. So, uh, hey, Ricky. Hey, Kervin. Hey, Kushro. I just wanted to thank both of you for having me on your show. It's a joy, honor, and a pleasure. I look forward to the interview and connecting with both of you. Excellent. Sounds good. So, Ricky, can you just tell us a little bit about you? Like, who is Ricky Shetty? Um, and, you know, and then, yeah, just tell us who is Ricky Shetty first. Absolutely, Kervin. Yeah, I'll tell you a little bit of my backstory. So, I'm from Vancouver, BC, Canada, uh, born and raised there. And... Uh, I've lived there for 25 years or so. I uh, met my wife there. We had three wonderful kids there. And then uh, around the time when I was married for a couple of years with the kids, I was feeling the sense of dissatisfaction of life, you know, living the American dream, or in my case, the Canadian dream, the white picket fence, the house, the car, and being dissatisfied, being a suburban domesticated dad. So I had these long conversations with my wife about, is this all we want life to be? living in the suburb, uh, uh, keeping up with the Joneses, uh, or do we want more? And after me and my wife discussed at length, we made a drastic decision to sell everything and travel the world. And this is how uh, Kirvin and uh, Kushro and myself are connected because we all love hopping in a plane and seeing this incredible world that we live in. Um, so me and my wife, we made a decision to sell suburbia, so to speak. We sold a house, we sold a car, sold our furniture, um, sold everything that people were willing to buy and we packed a few little things left over and put it at my parents place in Vancouver and we uh, jumped on a plane and headed here to the Philippines and we ended up traveling for a year Gervin and Kushro so we, we did uh, about 28 countries in a year just over a year and uh, our kids by the time they turned five they had been to 28 countries and that's pretty remarkable I don't know about you guys by the time you're five, you probably hadn't seen 20 countries. I am from Canada. <laughs> I've seen only Canada, US. I have Indian origins. So I've been to Canada, US, India. Uh, by the time I was 20, I'd only been to three countries, Canada, US, India. So my kids, I've set them up for success in terms of learning about cultures and uh, uh, people and uh, nature and this incredible world we live in, right? So short, long story short, we traveled to all these countries. My wife got sick. Uh, sorry, my wife's mom got sick. My wife's okay. My wife's mom got sick and um, my wife wanted to take care of her. So that's why we actually ended up setting a base here in the Philippines. It's a Filipino thing to do. Um, take care of your family. So that's why we've set a base here in the Philippines for two years and uh, along, you know, and we'll get into the, how I got stranded, but I'm a digital nomad. We can talk about that as well. I work online doing internet marketing and I love teaching people uh, how to also make their travel dreams come true how to make money online and travel the world. Even in spite of the current crisis, the COVID crisis, we can still prepare ourselves for when this crisis is over um, in, in terms of like uh, 
planning the next destination and uh, figuring out how you're going to finance it. So yeah, we have a lot to talk about, guys. So I'm looking <laughs> forward to it. Very good. Cool. How long ago was this when you decided I, I, to throw up everything in Canada? Yeah, Kushro. So that uh, we left. Our, it's called our dream day. The day we decided to make our dreams come true. December sixth, twenty sixteen, was the day we left Vancouver, okay. BC, Canada, YVR Airport, and we haven't <laughs> returned since. Um, so I haven't wow. been back home. My parents are back in Canada. I haven't seen my parents outside uh, of Facebook. I mean, they're my Facebook buddies. I haven't seen my mom and dad in four years uh, and counting. I can't um, imagine they would be thrilled by that or, uh, or are they you know, okay uh, with it? They're actually cool. They're cool parents. Um, they actually are very supportive. They love the fact that we're traveling and showing our kids this. And maybe there's a little parental guilt there because they didn't do that to me, right? So maybe they are like, Ricky had the courage and the guts to do what we didn't do, right? So maybe there's that. But no, they're the first time, I, the, every time I post, my mom and dad are the first likes on Facebook. They're the first people who comment on my uh, post. So my parents are very, 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 very supportive of us as a family, of uh, us in terms of our decisions. Obviously, they might not agree with every single decision, you know, like doing something radical, like selling material wealth for yeah. experiential wealth. You know, sometimes people might not agree with that, but they can see why we do it and they can agree with our why and they can agree because uh, of the parental bond. Hey, my kids are going to make mistakes and I'm going to love them and I'm going to support them regardless. And that's exactly what my parents are doing for me. They're supporting us regardless of whether they disagree with every minute detail of our decision-making as a married couple, right? How are you managing, for instance, now the education, kids' education? Because that must be a huge challenge when you're on the go all the time. Yeah, Kushro, great question. Um, so uh, how we do that is there's a whole bunch of different uh, educational paradigms. And uh, for any parents uh -huh. watching or listening to this, uh, you know, uh, you might be following the traditional educational approach, which is a public school or private school, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. We've done both models. Uh, there's a new educational paradigm, which is uh, called homeschooling, world schooling, life schooling, road schooling, sales schooling, unschooling, self-directed learning. And those, each of those individual terms have an entire educational uh, paradigm behind it, right? And uh, this could be a whole episode in itself, like the educational paradigms of raising kids. But in a nutshell, we believe in a fusion model of a traditional approach to education. And we are based here in the Philippines. They are in private schools. Uh, in Canada, we put them in a public school. So they've done the pu public thing. They've done the, they are doing the private thing now. And they have done the unschooling thing. And they've done the homeschooling thing. And they have done the world schooling thing. They haven't done the sales schooling thing because we're not sailors and we haven't done a yacht trip or yeah, a cruise around the world yet. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they've definitely been exposed to a, a myriad of different educational approaches, which I think is actually good and healthy uh, and beneficial for their education and their mindset and their personal growth. Yeah. So, so do they cope? Where, sorry, Kevin, I keep interrupting you. No, 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 it's okay. Go, go ahead, ahead Kosher. Go, go. You go. Uh, where are you based in the Philippines? Yeah, so uh, uh, Kervin and me, we met in Manila, Philippines, which is the capital. The three biggest cities are Manila, Cebu, Davao. We happen to be six hours north of Manila in a province called La Union. Uh, that's actually where my wife's parents are from, and that's why we're based okay. there. But at the time of this interview, when we're doing this particular podcast interview, I'm in an island called Romblon. Um, uh, the Philippines has 81 provinces, 
and this is one of the 81 provinces that I'm currently stranded in. So tell us about that for a little bit, because um, so I was online and I saw, I haven't heard from Ricky in a while, and I was wondering what's going on with him. And all of a sudden I see a post on Facebook and he's like, hey, I've been stranded in Rombline. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so we go, well, we got to bring him on the show and tell us what's been going on. Because I mean, we're an aviation podcast, but we also talk about travel and um being stranded, I know the Philippines is pretty much shut down as far as aviation is concerned. And we'll talk about that uh, in a little bit. Um, but tell us, how did you get stuck in Rambai? Yeah. Uh, and also, uh, Rick, sorry, Ricky, just one thing, because I was, I was looking at a map, actually, because I had to find Rambai. And are there any airports, there cannot be any airports on Rambai, or even the two neighboring islands, which are not that large anyway? Uh, yes, uh, the answer is yes, there is an airport in, um, so Ramblon is the provincial capital and the island to the west of Ramblon is called Tablas and they do have a domestic airport, it's not international, okay. it will fly to Manila, uh, their flights are not uh, regular, so they're about, well I mean they're regular but they're uh, twice a week uh, and they're being stopped, halted because of this COVID crisis, so there's no um, aviationally way to escape, <laughs> there's no way to escape by flight. Um, so I, can, I can't escape by boat, I can't escape by plane, and I can't escape by bus. So I'm literally trapped on, not a deserted island, because there's actually 40,000 citizens here, yeah. but uh, I am trapped in island. <laughs> <laughs> yes. so, so how did you get, quote unquote, trapped on an on a, on a island? <laughs> <laughs> I, I always want to say that to deserted island, because that's something we say, uh, you know, in, uh, you know, those uh, cocktail dinners. If you were trapped on a deserted island, what are three things you would take? What are the books you would take? Who would you take? Uh, you know, we, we, we kind of say those, those over dinner meals and uh, over when we socialize, right? So um, 40,000 is close to being deserted. I'm, I'm from a big city of like, you know, th th 3 million. You guys are from Houston, right? Big city. Uh, Manila is like 12, 12 million, right? So 40,000 residents is close to being deserted. <laughs> anyway, uh, how do we end up here? How did I end up here? Um, so I was on a solo trip, even though, uh, you know, we've done a lot of family travel. I personally am more of the adventurous type. I love to travel solo as well. And it's actually healthy. I just want to speak to all the married couples uh, who don't travel solo. I think it's actually healthy to do that as well. Uh, you know, uh, the wife, uh, maybe she can go on a girl's trip. The guy can go on a boy's trip. Um, for me, I go on solo trips, so, so I want to just share that with the married couples on the show here. Um, I did a solo trip here to the Visayas. Visayas, so there's Luzon, which is in the north. Visayas is in the central. And Mindanao is in the south. So I was traveling the Visayas, which is the islands in the center of the Philippines. Um, I was traveling through Boracay. Obviously, that's a world-famous uh, beach mm -hmm. and island resort. Uh, Boracay, I think Kirvin's been there and maybe uh, Kushro too. Oh, you haven't, you haven't. Okay. No, I wanted yet. to ask you about that, actually. Yeah, we can talk, we can talk, we can talk about uh, Philippine tourism. I've been to about 60 of the 81 provinces, so we can talk uh, heaps about that as well. We might have to do a few shows here, guys. The I'm homeschooling thinking. show, we might have to do the Philippine travel show, we might have to do the lockdown show, we might have to do the solo travel show, the family travel show. Ah, but, you know, I can see more episodes two, three, and four coming up soon, the to-be-continued ones. Okay, so I was traveling Boracay, okay? Um, I did my uh, one week there. It's very touristy. I'm, I'm sure some of your listeners and viewers, you've been to maybe Bali or been to the Caribbean, the Bahamas. 
Mexico, Cancun, et cetera, right? You can kind of picture the super touristy uh, ambience of a Boracay, right? Where, mm -hmm. you know, it's obviously in the Philippines, but it's full of um, Westerners um, uh, who are- Is that uh, the island that's been shut down? Or is that Palawan because of the pollution? I yes, good question, Boracay. good question. Boracay was on a six month shutdown 2019, and now it's on a shutdown for different reasons. For, uh, the six okay. month shutdown in 2019 was shut down for environmental cleanup because it okay. had become a cesspool, quote unquote, by President Duterte, the president of the Philippines. He called it a cesspool because all the sewage, all uh, the environment was being degrade, degraded. Um, so they actually closed it down for tourism, which is a bold move uh, because that brought in obviously a lot of uh, euros and dollars and yen and a whole bunch of the foreign currencies, right? So it brought in a lot of money economically, but they made a big decision for the environment and for future generations and for future tourism to clean it up. And that's the whole another podcast, right? So they did clean it up. I got to see it both pre-cleanup and I got to see it post-cleanup as well. So. I left Boracay because it was a bit too touristy for my liking, and I wanted to seek a little bit more of a remote place. And to Romblon, right? So I took a ferry, a boat from Boracay to Tablas, that island with the airport, and then I took another ferry here to Romblon. Now let me describe uh, what happened. So I came here to Romblon, and I did three days here. It's a small island of 42 kilometers in circumference. I rented an electric motorbike, and I did the whole circle in about two hours, all the famous uh, sightseeing attractions, and I'd done, I'd done the travels. So I decided to jump on a boat and go to the next island, which is on the east called Sibuyan. And uh, if you guys are watching and listening to this, you can pop it up and kind of uh, visualize where I was traveling. So we went uh, to Cib I, I went to Sibuyan, and when I got to Sibuyan, the Coast Guard and the wharf officials showed me a letter and they said, this letter says that you are not allowed to enter this island as a tourist. Only residents and only locals were permitted. So all of a sudden I got sent back and this was because of the COVID crisis and the president had announced two days later that the whole country was gonna be locked down. And let me explain what happened there. And no matter where you're in the world, there was some kind of lockdown nest, maybe besides Sweden or Slovenia, those are some countries that uh, maybe off the grade uh, doing things against the norm, right? Uh, so the Philippines is currently undergoing the longest lockdown in the entire world. There's 193 United Nations member states, and out of those 193, Kervin's been to about 100 plus of them. Um, so out of those 193, Philippines has done the longest lockdown in the world, longer than Wuhan, China, which is the center or the origin of this epidemic, right? So mm. it's incredible that the Philippines has locked down for longer length of time. It's been since March 15th. And now at the time of this interview, we're here in like uh, close to end of Mar May here. So it's been locked down for like two and a half months now. Um, so let me explain what happened. The president made a press conference, uh, live streamed obviously on social media as well. And he said this, we are closing down the Philippines to all international tourism and to all domestic travel. We're shutting down planes, buses, ferries, tricycles, jeepneys, and any form of transport. A jeepney is a former US military vehicle that's used as public transport. A tricycle is kind of like an auto rickshaw. That got shut down. A 
pedicab, bicycle with people in the back, pedicabs got shut down, tricycles got shut down, buses, jeepneys. Uh, the Philippines is 7,000 islands. There was no, there has been no transport allowed between the 7,000 islands. Um, so the, literally the whole country was shocked, uh, was locked down. So every single person who was maybe on a business trip, a travel trip, who was uh, from an island and then working a different island, they all got trapped. So as, a, as we speak here at the time of this interview, there's literally thousands of Filipinos, expats, and foreign and domestic tourists who are trapped in a, a different parts of the Philippines. They call us this LSIs, locally stranded individuals. And we're not allowed to go anywhere for sake of spreading the virus or being infected by the virus. And there's actually no transport logistics to travel either, right? No planes, um, there's no buses, no ferries, right? So I literally I'm stuck here on this island called Romlon for two months. And uh, I, I mean, I could talk at length about this. I, I, when I came here, I had no family here, no friends here, no connections here. So I'm literally trapped in a place where I know no one. Yeah. So, so Ricky, you know what's interesting about that is that you talk about the whole lockdown is, um, so my, my VA is actually from the Philippines. I think it's mm -hmm. uh, Davao, is that how you pronounce it? D -A -B -A. Yes, Davao, yes. And so um, every time he sends me notes, he's like, sir, we're on lockdown. We can't go anywhere, which is kind, which is kind of good because then he can, he can do more work, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he's been telling me that. And also, um, uh, one of my banks has um, workers in the Philippines and they have not been able to get to work because if they don't have their own car, they can't get to work. So in a call center of like 120 people, only five of them showed up for work. And what happened was that meant I was on the phone literally eight hours. Um, the system hung up on me twice because it hangs up after four hours. And so, um, so this is actually affecting entire world because in the u.s a lot of companies here um outsource yeah so it's um yeah that's yeah i mean the, the notification sorry go ahead uh yeah let me let me answer uh, let me add to what you were saying Kervin, and let me answer your question Trishro. so uh just to add to what you're saying Kervin, like philippines and india are the two biggest outsourcing countries in the world so uh, what happened to you is very typically of what could happen to literally all the big corporations in the US and Europe, because a lot of them have um, satellite offices here with Filipinos VAs who are working like Eastern Standard Time or Pacific Standard Time or European, um, you know, Greenwich Time, right? So this affects a lot of people. And then Kushro, you were about to answer, ask me something. How long notice did Duterte give? Yeah, before they imposed the embargo, because I know in India they did, they gave you, I believe, uh, 48 hours. Mm. Yes. Uh, to get your fares in order before you were locked down. Yeah, it's pretty much the same thing here. Uh, Kushro, it's about okay. 40, uh, two, two days, 48 hours, uh, where he made the press conference. People were kind of shocked. They're like, what? Uh, that's a pretty drastic measure to close it at that rapid uh, uh, speed. And there's controversy around this decision, obviously, right? There's going to be the supporters and the naysayers. I happen to somewhat agree with his thinking or his ideology around on this because it has uh, this whole thing about flattening the curve and about uh, sp spreading the rate of infections right it actually worked to some degree uh countries which didn't uh, uh lock down quick enough spread really quickly you won't mention any names there the u.s trump um, <laughs> you know like obviously america has become the epicenter now right 
which is sad because, uh, you know, it's affected a lot of people in the U.S., right? And Italy, for example, affected a lot of people there, Spain, right? So if you just study kind of like what's happened over the last few months, the countries that locked down quick and strong, they actually spread, stopped the infection rates quicker, not stopped, but lessened infection rates. And there were ones that were slow to um, lock down quick enough, uh, their infection rates skyrocket like crazy there's some exceptions right. like you know scandinavian countries etc so, so really, well, i think it's all the more remarkable that asia where physical or social distancing is so much more difficult to do than it is in the western world so what they've done i think is really quite remarkable and yeah, people have for the most part obeyed the restrictions but especially yeah. in a country like the philippines or india for instance I mean, yeah. of course, there were, but uh, really quite. Yeah. But no, you had mentioned that you got to know this person on the island. I believe you referred to him as Uncle Sam, who's yes. taken you in, helped you out. Yes. So, but how do you spend your days, for instance? Long walks yeah. on the beach that everyone <laughs> talks about. <laughs> uh, great question, Kushro. Um, so. You can kind of imagine the scenario, right? And uh, I want to make it applicable to your viewers and listeners here. Like, imagine you who got stranded in an island with no family, friends, relatives, uh, contacts. What would you do, right? Uh, there would be fear, anxiety, confusion, frustration, uh, uh, you know, like all these kind of emotions bubbling up inside of you mentally, uh, emotionally, physiologically, right? So all that happened to me. There was a state of panic, confusion, uncertainty. I was like, What's going to happen to me? How long am I going to be here, right? So what happened, uh, I'll just share with you what happened in my case. So another effect of the lockdown, all hotels were required nationwide to close. I don't know, again, in the U.S. where you guys are, for your listeners who are around the world, I don't know what the state of the hotel industry is, but obviously Airbnb, they had to lay off, uh, you know, several hundred employees just recently. Hotels, obviously, a lot of them got closed down and are struggling now with lack of uh, uh, occupants, uh, lack of guests. Uh, so all the hotels in the Philippines were also required to shut down unless they had pre-existing guests. Um, so if they weren't a pre-existing guest who was already in the hotel when the lockdown was ordered, um, they were forced to close to new guests. So all of a sudden, I was here on this island where all the hotels are closing left, right, and center, and then you're just kind of like, okay, I don't really want to sleep in a park or a bus stop. Uh, what do I do? <laughs> so while I was walking around the street, a politician approached me and he said, you're, you're new here, right? Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? And then I said, I'm from Canada. And he's like, oh, my, everyone knows someone who's immigrated to Canada in the U.S. He's like, oh, my brother and sister, they immigrated to the Toronto. And Canada has treated them so well, and uh, I love, uh, he's never been, but he's like, oh, I love Canada because of how they treated my relatives. Um, so he said to me, where are you staying? And I'm like, well, I'm not sure because of this whole lockdown <laughs> situation. He's like, well, you know what? I have a house with uh, guest rooms. Why didn't you come stay with me for free? And I was actually quite startled by that proposition because um, I didn't know him. Don't have any history, don't have any background, uh, don't have any political connections here. And this politician, I call him Uncle Sam because his name is Sam Romero. And out of respect, we call, it, uh, we call the elders here Uncle or Tito. 
Spanish influence there, uh, Tito Sam or Uncle Sam. Um, so he hosted me and also four other, uh, four other tourists, tourists in total who are also in the same boat, uh, not a boat, but you know, figuratively <laughs> a boat as me. Uh, so there was a guy from Canada, a girl from Italy, myself, and a girl from Tablas, the next island over. We stayed with him for six weeks. And, uh, wow. you know, just, uh, I just wanted to say, like, at times of crisis, uh, it shows you the power of human empathy, human compassion, and human love. Like, people could have been scared, saying, like, these guys are foreigners, and uh, they could be, they're travelers, they could have the virus, right? But this person, Uncle Sam, uh, decided to, without doing a medical check or COVID test or checking if I'm positive or negative, he said, you're stranded, you're stuck, you're quote unquote homeless, I will provide you a home and shelter. And uh, ah, I'm just so grateful for that. So That's I hope if any, of you, any of your listeners get stuck ever, that you'll also meet an Uncle Sam. <laughs> That's pretty cool, Rick. Asian hospitality for you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes. And, and you know, the, the, the Filipinos are like that. They're, um, I don't think I've ever met a Filipino who's a, you know, who's not hospitable. So um, that that is impressive. So um, how are you surviving? Like, I mean, how are you making money? I mean, what? Mm -hmm. how, how do how do you do that? Yeah, I'd love to share some wisdom there. That's actually my business is uh, teaching people how to be digital nomads. I've actually done a TEDx talk on it. You're welcome to link to that in the show notes. Uh, mm -hmm. How to travel the world as a digital nomad. I did that here in the Philippines. I've done training and education. I have a podcast on it as well called Digital Nomad Mastery. Kervin uh, was actually one of my former guests where we uh, interviewed him uh, about um, his multiple, multiple, multiple in the hundreds of fights around the world, right? So um, what I do is I uh, basically do a few different things online. Um, I have a course on Udemy. Udemy is an online uh, course marketplace. It's actually the biggest online course marketplace in the world uh, where you record a course. It's very simple. Whatever your knowledge is, it could be like travel hacking, it could be gardening, it could be cooking, it could be fixing cars, whatever you have a knowledge base off, you just record uh, a course on that. And it might seem like complicated or it might be like, I'm not a professor, I'm not a teacher, right? Anyone can teach something you know to someone else, right? So whatever your passion or area of expertise is, you can record courses on that. And it's literally as simple as sitting in front of a laptop or a smartphone or a tablet um, and uh, talking for the course of like 90 minutes to two hours and talking about your subject matter of expertise. And you upload that to Udemy. And uh, as opposed to YouTube, uh, YouTube is also a great tool for making money because YouTube pays through ad revenue. Uh, Google ads on your videos, I'm sure all of you get frustrated by Skip ad, skip ad, five more seconds, skip ad, right? So that's how YouTube pays uh, its uh, YouTube creators. Udemy, they pay uh, the Udemy course creators by customers who go to Udemy to purchase their courses. And people go to uh, Udemy by the millions. I don't know exactly the numbers here, don't quote me, but they go, a lot of people go to Udemy and they go and they search a term like fixing your car, um, travel hacking, cooking tasty Italian lasagna, right? And then um, they'll buy a course in it, and then Udemy will take 50%, and uh, the instructor will take 50%. So through Udemy, I, I've been able to generate a few hundred in passive income. It's pretty cool because I don't do anything. Um, all I do is I, and I have like 15 courses on there. All I do is record the course, 
I put it on Udemy and then I don't market it. At the beginning, I might put it on my Facebook or social media saying, I just released a, lot, a new course, uh, you know, click the link to purchase it, right? But through time, like I have these courses for like two, three years and every month there's still people purchasing them and that's passive income because you do the work once, you get paid over and over and over. Um, so that's Udemy, are that's these, one income. Sorry to interrupt, uh, yeah, Rahim, are these travel-related courses or are they for specific trades or something like that? Yeah, so I teach people how to build businesses and how to do internet marketing. So I have courses specifically on, okay. on uh, business uh, startup, uh, business growth, uh, digital marketing. So I'll explain my, I won't explain, but I'll just list my 15 courses. So um, I'll put a link. I'll put not, a link it's, it's, there yeah, for you. yeah it's, not a, it's not a plug for the courses. It's fine. No, it's whether, okay. you buy, whether, you, whether you guys buy it or not, it's cool. So anyway, so um, there's courses on branding, uh, courses on marketing, courses on social. I, of course, I personally have courses on uh, social media marketing, on podcasting, on YouTube marketing, on public speaking, on uh, book writing, on travel, uh, travel blogging, and um, being how to be a digital nomad. Uh, travel in Southeast Asia and travel in Latin America. So I have like 15 different courses and um, yeah, just, just, it can be, it can be in anything. Like I mentioned, the topics yeah. are, the topics are endless, right? Uh, it just, for me, they're more business related than my, for my particular courses. Exactly. And you've yeah. also written some books as well, right? Yeah. So I want to teach people about uh, how to start a business and I teach people how to repurpose their content. So again, everyone, and I want to give people this kind of confidence that everyone has something to teach. And you can teach that in many ways. So you can package that knowledge, it's called information uh, marketing. So that information, literally you pick it from your brain and you put it into a course, a digital course or a virtual course or online course. You can also type it up and put it into a book. You can turn that into an audio book. You can coach people on that one-on-one, right? So if people want to learn how to launch a business, how to grow a business, how to monetize a business, I, can, I do actually coach people on this. And you can run, you know, one-on-one -on -one coaching, you can run small group coaching, you can run masterminds, you can do online courses, you can do books on the same subject matter. Plus you can do webinars, you can do public speaking on it. So no matter what your area of expertise, you can teach others on it and you can monetize that information. So I have books. I have like 15 books on, uh, no, no, I have 10 books, 10 books on Amazon. Um, one of them, one of the book series is uh, called Exploring the Continents, where I have seven books on the yeah. seven continents and they're for kids. So I have a book on North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Australia, Africa, and Antarctica. I have also a book about fatherhood and um, parenting and marriage. Those are my big passions. So yeah, those are some of my books that are in the seven books on Amazon and on Kindle. Yeah, very cool. Uh, Kushi, you had a question in there. Yeah, I know I always get asked this, but um, of all your travels and the countries you've visited, is there a particular place that sticks in your mind that you would go back anytime, every time? Mm -hmm. I'm sure Kervin gets, and you, Kushra, will get all these, these questions a lot too. What's your favorite country? I really don't, because every country is so unique in its own right. But, um, well, I have a couple of favorites, but um, what, what have yours been? Like for yeah, you guys, I know you have you a particular guys, affinity for the Philippines. Mm -hmm. um, and and yeah. I'm not in a unique company there because uh, Nas Daily, a shout out to him, his also pick of choice for the favorite country is the Philippines. And then Drubinsky, another famous video blogger, his pick of choice is also the Philippines. So there you go. Top of the two, two of the top okay. travel bloggers uh, pick Philippines. 
for me, I, I love the Philippines. That's why I've cho chosen it as my base for a few reasons, okay? And I'm going to actually tell you my favorite travel destination after this. Um, Philippines, everyone speaks English. It's cheap. It's warm, sunny, and uh, the climate's good, right? So it has a great climate. It has friendly people, and it has a low cost of living. I mean, Thailand might have uh, some of those variables, but Thailand, the, the national language is in English. It's Thai. And in Indonesia, the national language is in Bahasa Indonesia. It's not English, right? So the Philippines has this unique advantage where the national national language is English and Tagalog. And India too, by the way. India also is English and in Indian, a whole bunch of myriad of other languages, right? So I, that's one of the reasons we love the Philippines. Low cost of living, great climate, and uh, the fact that everyone's so super friendly. And uh, my favorite travel destination, I, wanna, I don't want to say it's a country, and this is a debatable topic. Uh, another episode, guys. Uh, <laughs> Tibet, Tibet. So I've been to about 20 provinces in China. And technically, Tibet is a province of China. Uh, and I traveled there. And I love Tibet uh, for many reasons we can go into. But uh, and I'm part of the, kind of like the free Tibet movement, where I hope it will be eventually an independent country or have more autonomy. But it's just such a unique place in the world. Um, I've been, I mean, I've been to 81 countries, and you guys have traveled extensively as well, right? So when you ask that question, what's your favorite? Is it based on food? Is it based on culture? Is it based on physical sightseeing? Is it based on man-made beauty? Like the pyramids in Giza, amazing. Machu Picchu in, um, uh, in Peru is amazing. The Great Wall of China is amazing. Iguazu Falls, man. Like uh, Iguazu Falls <laughs> is incredible between Brazil and Argentina. I've been on an animal safari in Kruger National Park in South Africa. That blew me away, right? So if I love animals, I'm going to, if you guys love animals, go to Kruger National Park. Do yourself an animal safari in uh, Tanzania or uh, see the great migration over there. If you love natural beauty, go see the Grand Canyon or, natural, uh, or uh, you know, like Victoria Falls or Angel Falls in Venezuela, right? If you love uh, man-made architectural uh, wonders, like check out Dubai, check out the Burj Khalifa, incredible, right? Uh, Tibet is unique to me because it is, it's like kind of a fusion of like East and West. It still maintained um, this cultural roots and it, so I don't want to say it's been uh, westernized yet. Like they don't have, and this might have changed since I've been there. No McDonald's, no KFC, no Burger King, right? Um, and they're, they're this unique Tibetan Buddhist culture. And I happen to be a Christian, by the way, pastor. But I still, uh, in, in the, I'm a Christian, I can still like value and appreciate the Tibetan culture. And just like the fact that they preserved it in spite of like the Chinese Oh man, I'm going to get into politics, but uh, Chinese occupation of the country, of the, of the province. Oh, man. This, uh, I'm fine, man. How did you adjust to the I, cuisine? I, I'm, I'm, walking, walking on, uh, I'm walking on glass here, yeah. guys. Help me well, out. It, it, Help it's, me out. It's, always, it's very difficult to, to, um, to balance <laughs> politics with travel. So usually when I travel, yes. Um, yes. I, I, I don't say I ignore the politics, but I really travel. And I know that you guys are the same way, is that we're more interested in the people and the culture. Yeah. yeah the, po yeah. the political side, we, we don't get involved in that because it's a lot more than we can have any control in. And, and like you said, that's a whole thing for another podcast. <laughs> we're going to get Kusha's question about food. Go, Kusha. Yeah, how did you adjust to the Tibetan food? Because that's almost an acquired taste, right? With all the fermentation and yak. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's countries where they'll eat any, any parts of any animal. Here in the Philippines, they'll eat any single part of the pig. 
Uh, they call it lechon. Uh, so they'll eat the ears of the pig. They'll eat the belly fat of the pig. Uh, they'll eat the intestines of the pig. And I'm just in like, Jamaica too. <laughs> no intestines for me, thank you. I'll leave out those intestines. Oh, uh, dude, um, tripe is one of the best things you ever. <laughs> I mean, the British do right in their blood pudding. Isn't that part of it? But anyway, I'm, I'm digressing. Blood pudding, yeah. I'm, I'm staying away from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, and I mean, to bat here, yeah, yak everything, like yak, even yak testicles, yak yeah. meat, yak milk, right? So you just kind of uh, appreciate it, right? Like every country is unique and different. And uh, I think that's part of the travel uh, philosophy is that when you're in the country, you got to do as the Tibetans do, right? So, hey, the Tibetans are eating yaks. Let's do it. Like, I'm here to understand the culture. And part of the culture is the cuisine, yeah. the, the gastronomy <laughs> tourism, a culinary tourism, right? So that's very much yeah. intricate part of any travel journey. But yeah, probably. Did you food, adjust? Right? Sorry, Cohen, I keep interrupting you. No, 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 it's okay. It's okay. Go ahead. I, 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 and I keep interrupting you as well, but it's all good. Well, so so is, does yak taste like beef? Is that, is that what it is? Uh, you know, people say this about everything, right? Here I eat carabao. I've had carabao, which is a, a water buffalo here. And right. Like, does it taste like chicken? Uh, there's variations. Sometimes it can be a little more rubbery. It can be more, uh, you know, like harder, like the texture of it. I don't remember it because I've been here like uh, Tibet about 10 years ago. So I don't want to, I, 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 my, yeah, my taste cuisines have di died down in the last 10 years. So that uh, taste has left my memory bank. So I can't even explain it and do it justice. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Kusha, go ahead. What were you going to say? Um, two questions, actually. Did, how did you adjust to the altitude in Tibet? And uh, did you take the train from Beijing or did you fly into Lhasa or anywhere else? Yeah, so uh, at the time of my particular trip, I, I, uh, and uh, this is a different type of travel. Some people like um, land-based land travel. I know you guys are flight, flight kind of people, right? For, for me, I love to travel by land as much as possible. Like, for example, when I was in South America, I did the entire circumference from like, uh, you know, a circle of whole of South America, there's 12 countries there without one flight. Uh, well, sorry, sorry, I want to make it nice. With one flight, or two flights, I think. It was one into the Amazon oh, because it was very remote and then one out of the Amazon. But, but the rest, I went to like Colombia, uh, into Ecuador, into Peru, into uh, Bolivia, into Argentina, into Brazil, the Guyanas, like without any flights. Uh, so um, in terms of Tibet, my plan was very similar. I started off in Japan. I took a ferry from Japan into Korea, South Korea, from South Korea into, into mainland China, from mainland China into the province of Tibet, and then from Tibet into Nepal, Nepal into India, India into Bangladesh, Bangladesh into Myanmar, then into Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, right? And then, the, and then from Singapore into Indonesia and then Australia. I done a lot of that by land and sea, uh, buses, then boats, then buses, then boats. You can kind of picture that route, right? Without flights, with the exception of few. One of those flights I had to take was the mainland China into Tibet. They weren't allowing uh, land travel at that point. But then when I was in Lhasa, I actually traveled from Lhasa to Kathmandu the capital of Nepal through the Friendship Highway, which connects Lhasa and Kathmandu. Uh, it's one of the highest navigable, you know, in terms of elevation, your question was like highest navigable roads in the world, right? So we did that road, got to see Everest, uh, the, the base camp there, uh, the highest mountain in the world, incredible. Um, the elevation, altitude sickness. <laughs> yeah, definitely it can get to you. It's got to me in multiple different countries. In Tibet, it's got to me. In uh, Peru, it's got to me. When I did Machu Picchu, when I was in Bol Bolivia, it's the 
highest uh, city in the world, I believe, when I was in Titicaca, okay. the highest lake in the world, right? So, yeah, the, uh, altitude sickness has got to be in many places. They actually have pills for that, altitude sickness pills. Uh, they also have uh, tea, uh, so you can drink a tea, like a herbal tea. That's supposed to be really good for altitude sickness as well. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to, uh, you, actually not sometimes, usually you actually have to acclimatize by staying stationary in the city you've just arrived in, like Lhasa, high elevation. You need to stay there, uh, just breathe, uh, get used to it, and then after two or three days or whenever you feel right, then you can actually start venturing out to other parts of the area. Yeah, that and I know I'm jumping around, but I wanted to ask you, have you ever experienced a typhoon in the Philippines? Yeah, it was about five days ago, my friend. Uh, so, Kushiro, there was a typhoon I, here. Yeah, it was I was going to ask you about that, yeah. Yeah, it's called Typhoon Were you affected? Uh, this is actually an uh, interesting thing that happened, okay? Let me share with, uh, with your listeners and viewers this as well. So, there, um, for those of you guys who don't know, Philippines is kind of the easternmost um, Asian country, maybe Japan falls into there too, and then Papua New Guinea, right? So Philippines is on the east part of Asia. And um, it gets hit by typhoons from like both sides, east and west. Um, so people who live in the Philippines who are in the coastal areas, they get wrecked havoc, uh, havoc by the typhoons pretty much every year. And it's very sad. I just want to say that uh, because you hear year after year, People who live in coastal areas, they're very poor. They live in shacks or like shanty kind of uh, um, tats roofs, right? Boom, a typhoon hits, their houses get destroyed. The government's great because they actually um, evacuate the people before the typhoons. They'll have uh, every single citizen who has a smartphone, which is pretty much all of them, will get a notification like typhoon alerts. Um, so it will say typhoon alert level. So you'll get notified. And then if there's a severe typhoon coming, um, you know, obviously the Coast Guards and the military and army will come, evacuate all the people before the typhoon hits. But unfortunately, the people might be safe, uh, but their homes get destroyed. And uh, it's a tragedy because you'll see in these coastal areas, people living without roofs, or people living, uh, trying to rebuild their roofs. And Philippines is a third world country, right? So they have very little money. The average middle class person, the average middle class person makes like 300 US a month, 300 US a month for middle class, right? In Canada, US, probably it's like 2,000 a month, right? So you can imagine living on 300 US a month, it's survival level, right? Most people don't have savings, they're living like, uh, you know, day by day or month by month, right? So it's very tough. So when this typhoon just hit last week, a few days ago, there was two issues, okay? Firstly is the COVID issue, uh, which can affect anyone at any time. And then there's a typhoon issue. So they have to do these dangerous evacuations in the midst of the COVID crisis. Uh, to ensure that they get evacuated to a place where they're not going to get all infected because that can make the evacuation even worse to some degree, right? So, yeah, it was a little bit of chaos, honestly, uh, when they had to evacuate all these people because of the typhoon in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Because you're sort of sandwiched between this uh, Sibuyan and Tablas, mm -hmm. right? So I don't know if that mm -hmm. helps or uh, that makes no difference. Typhoons don't care about island, uh, other islands. I mean, typhoons just hit when they want to hit, yeah. right? Like, it's so hard to predict. I mean, uh, I mean, obviously, there are climatologists who do predict these things, right? But it's so hard to predict how, how severe a typhoon could be. Um, the eastern islands, like there's one called Samar, they had uh, thousands of deaths uh, in, in a typhoon there. And uh, 
that's one of the hard things about living in the Philippines. Uh, if you're in like a city like Manila or Cebu, Davao, you're usually safer in the big cities, but coastal areas, uh, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, so yeah, just can't say it any other way. It's just difficult. Got you. So, and um, I know this is just like out of personal curiosity, but on a small little island like Ramblan, are there like fast food places? Mm -hmm. And uh, the only one I can think of as a Filipino fast food is uh, Jollibee. Are there any in that little location? Zero, zero. Uh, so there's zero okay. fast food outlets in this uh, island of 40,000. Uh, there's like 20, so there's about 20 restaurants. I've had food in all 20 of them. Um, there's about 20 uh, restaurants here. Uh, there's like three banks. There's like a, a city center, which is maybe like 708 streets by 708 streets, right? So uh, there's no McDonald's, no KFC, no Burger King. Jollibee is uh, one of the great success stories, by the way, of the Philippines. Uh, normally you hear of like Western uh, giants that have taken over the world, right? Starbucks and uh, you, know, you know, obviously you hear of like McDonald's, Burger King, Subway, right? Those are uh, the big three fast food outlets. Uh, but uh, Jollibee, great success story from the Philippines. Um, the owner of Jollibee, I believe now, is the second richest man in the Philippines. The first richest man is the owner of uh, SM, which is Schumart, which is now the biggest mall chain in the Philippines. A little bit of trivia for your next uh, trivia party, um, pop, pop quiz night. Uh, so Jollibee has taken the world by storm, so to speak. Uh, so Jollibee is in the U.S., like in New York, in a really prime real estate in New York. You can go check out your Jollibee. In Canada, it's like in uh, opening soon. We have them here as well. In yeah, Houston. in Houston. So jo Jollibee's awesome. If you guys haven't tried it, uh, the famous items in Jollibee are, I'm not getting paid, I'm not endorsing Jollibee by any means. <laughs> I wish I was. I could. This is how you can monetize a podcast by talking about Jollibee and then say, we'd like to thank a sponsor for today, Jollibee uh, Limited, right? Exactly. Uh, so Jolli <laughs> we don't yeah, have any sponsors yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you guys are listening, Jollibee, uh, hit us up. So Jollibee, great, 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 great concept. Very simple concept like most fast food outlets, right? They're famous for like uh, two or three things. They're famous for the chicken joy. And I love that. They, like Happy Meal, right? When you, when you think of Happy Meal, you're like, a meal that will make you happy. I want one. Even though I'm not a kid and I don't care about the toy, I want a Happy Meal so I can be happy, right? So Jollibee, I mean Jollibee, you think of a Happy Bee, Jolly, Jolliness. Uh, and you think of uh, Chicken Joy. So I love the kind of the marketing behind that, right? Like a chicken that brings you joy, simple concept. So people eat the chicken boy joy and they're happy, right? So this chicken joy is delicious. It's not the Colonel Sanders delicious, but it's the Jollibee delicious, okay? Then they have Jollibee spaghetti. Okay, we know spaghetti with what it tastes like, right? Italian spaghetti, carbonara's, linguines, et cetera, right? So Jollibee spaghetti, it has like sausages and it has sweet tasting sauce. I didn't like it at first, I was like, you know, Italians must just go crazy. I'm not Italian, but uh, Italians must come here and they're like, you butchered the whole pasta industry, right? But they haven't because it's just acquired taste. So they're sweet spaghetti, okay? Uh, just yeah. say it that way. But it's famous for that. And they also have tuna pies. Again, a pie made of tuna. It took me a while to get used to. So tuna pies, um, chicken joy, and Jollibee spaghetti. So we're waiting for a check or a PayPal deposit there, Jollibee. I know, man, most definitely. And what is your diet like uh, on an average day? Uh, you know, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, for instance. Um, I know this is going to be very stereotypical, but do you eat a lot of pancit noodles? Yeah, thanks for asking me all these questions. I love educating people on Filipino cuisine because um, 
you know, obviously, uh, you know, a lot of us are food lovers. Um, and when you think of cuisine that's become famous internationally from Asia, you'll think about the Thai curries or the Indian naans, you'll think about the body chickens, you'll think about the, the Korean bulgogis or the bimimpas, you'll think of the Japanese sushi, uh, you'll think of maybe the Malaysian chendol or the nasi goreng from Indonesia, the Vietnamese pho, uh, right? So hopefully I haven't left any Asian countries out there. Um, so you'll think of these famous Indian food, I uh, should say famous Asian food. Um, but you won't think of the Philippine food because the Philippine cuisine hasn't hit the international market. I mean, Jollibee is not really Philippine cuisine. It's Western type of cuisine that's been Filipino, not Filipinized, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. So what is Filipino cuisine? I mean, um, what's famous? They have a whole bunch of dishes. I mean, you have something called adobo, uh, this, which is actually famous in Spain as well. It's like, I call it like kind of like uh, chicken that's marinated in vinegar. It's like sour chicken. It's quite delicious. They have Very something delicious. called Bico Express. Bico, yeah, you've had an adobo. Uh, Bico Express is famous as well. It's like, um, and then a lechon from uh, Cebu. And because there's 81 provinces, each area of the Philippines has their unique uh, cultural cuisine. Um, so my diet, um, I mean, Asia, obviously, you got to eat a lot of rice, right? So it's part of breakfast. It's part of lunch, part of dinner. Because I'm an island, obviously, fish is very famous. They have fishes. Uh, which I don't even know the names of. They just have fishes are plenty in the fish markets. Uh, so uh, fish is very common here. Uh, the big three meats that we all, you know, the, all the carnivores are used to eating, the chickens, the beef, the pork, you can get that. A car, uh, carabao, which is buffalo, it's available in some places. Um, vegetables, they have unique vegetables here. Um, there's a unique well, imagine a lot well. of coconut-based food or no? Absolutely, absolutely. When you think of a tropical paradise like the Philippines, uh, you think of uh, coconut trees. So there's a, uh, it's called buko here, buko. Uh, so there's buko juice, which is coconut juice, uh, buko pudding, buko pie. Uh, a lot of the dishes have coconut um, ingredients and coconut in their sauces and the curries. Uh, so yeah, buko is very much a part of uh, Filipino gastronomy too. Uh, that's cool. So Rick, um, geez, yes. no, we, could, we could go forever. But yeah, man, let's, uh, let's do a two, three hour podcast. Right. So when, it, when, is the, um, when is the lockdown ending so you can you know, go to the family? Uh, I would say sometime between 2020 and 2021. I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. But this is the big question, right? I mean, I don't know when you guys are listening to this. You might be like listening to this in 2025 thinking, remember those days when everyone was locked down in the year 2020 or you might still be there in 2025 how can this lockdown continue <laughs> just joking hopefully you want to continue that long. Um, so yeah i don't know I, uh, the answers i don't know i mean we're thinking uh, it, uh there's there's stages of like uh, i mean every country in the world is doing some kind of uh protecting the environment uh, protecting the economy strategy right like because health is obviously the most important wealth right at the end of the day but if you don't have the economic wealth, companies are gonna collapse, uh, countries are gonna collapse, right? Companies yeah. and countries are gonna collapse. And then if, if nations collapse, the global economy collapses, right? And you can see we're on the verge of maybe a global recession or a global depression of uh, economic, because uh, you can see it could be the Great Depression following uh, World War One, right? Now this is almost like a World War Three, which is not nation against nations, 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 plural against a virus. Yeah. Um, and we don't know the after effects of this. So I don't know. It's a hard question to answer, Kervin, about when this lockdown will be finished on a national or a global level. 
Uh, obviously, it's being transitioned from like severe lockdown to opening up uh, in unaffected areas. So the provinces that are, have the highest rate of coronavirus obviously need to lock down the strongest because they need to protect the citizens there. And the areas like for me, I, I, we didn't even talk about the corona situation here. The entire province, there's only two cases and this particular island, zero, the big zero. So obviously here, yeah, um, praise God on that. So on this island, I'm much more free so I am able to ride my motorbike. I'm able to, uh, I can't eat at restaurants. Uh, I can't sit down and eat at restaurants. I can get takeout or delivery at, from restaurants. Whereas in Manila, I'll just share with you an example of my friend, shout out to him, Tom James. So my friend in Manila, Tom James, he hasn't left his apartment for two months, period. Wow. I, 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 I said to Tom on Facebook Messenger, I'm like, Tom, are you being like kind of, overemphasizing the fact that you you just been trapped in your apartment too long he's like no literally Ricky I haven't left this apartment in two months I'm like okay this this is uh, really locked down two months of no fresh air no walks around the neighborhood that's serious like uh, it's almost military martial law kind yeah. of serious right so yeah my buddy Tom and I'm just using him as an example obviously mm -hmm. but yeah people in Manila it's a city of 12 million people with now in fact, infections are like 10,000 10, plus, right? So relative to population, it's not massive, but 10,000 people is still a big number of yeah. people, right? It's like a stadium, right? So imagine a stadium full of people roaming around the city, potentially infecting millions, right? So those 10,000 could affect 100,000, could affect millions, right? So for the sake of safety, and again, you can agree or disagree with the government, but for the sake of safety of the people, of course, we have to protect our people, period, right? So yeah. for the sake of safety of the people, I think there's wisdom in the decision-making there that they have locked down Manila the strongest and they have locked down Cebu the strongest and then Davao, the three big epicenters, like, uh, you know, like 10 million plus population roughly, right? Those, those, those uh, cities are locked down the strongest and like other islands out of the 81 provinces are slowly transitioning back to normal. Uh, they call it enhanced community quarantine, general community quarantine, modified general community quarantine. They're probably acronyms in whichever country you're listening or watching from about how they're phasing people back into the quote unquote, the new normal. So yeah, okay. I, I don't know uh, the answer to your question, Gervin. So no, that's okay. Um, Kusho, uh, was there anything on like um, when, when the airport was gonna be open in, in Manila? No, I didn't see anything about that. I didn't specifically look for anything, but um, I guess they will take the lead of the bigger uh, country, you know, Hong Kong, Seoul, and that, because they have the most traffic. Ricky, from a purely selfish question, uh, mm -hmm. on your way to Ramblan, did you mm -hmm. by any chance go to Palau? Uh, and would you yeah. recommend it? Yeah, so like I said, I've been to like 60 of the provinces. So Palawan's incredible. Um, Palawan is, uh, has one of the most beautiful areas, two of the most beautiful areas. It's called uh, Puerto Princesa. They have an underground river. It's one of the you know, uh, majestic uh, sites to see here in the Philippines. Um, it got voted as some kind of like global wonders. Uh, I forget which one, but anyway. So uh, the underground river- Is that river not in Boracay, Puerto no, Princesa? No, okay. no, it's the capital of Palawan province. So yeah, so Puerto Francesca, the underground river is basically a cave where you take a boat through a river, incredible. El Nido is also a cool place. And then there's uh, 
Coron, which is a famous beach area. So those are the top three mm. tourist attractions in Palawan. Another, uh, since we're talking a little bit about tourism, the rice fields of Banawe is also quite famous. Uh, for those of you movie fans out there, the last scene of Avengers, sorry, spoiler alert, Avengers, when Thanos, uh, you know, wiped out half the world's population, spoiler alert, um, he went to retreat in this little hut. That was filmed in Banawe rice terraces in the northern Philippines. So if you watch the end of the Avengers first part, um, you'll see the scene for the Philippines. And I'm just proud of that because I'm a big ambassador of Philippines tourism and it made it in one of the most successful movies in history, Avengers uh, Infinity War. That's cool. So um, talking about the Philippines, I went to uh, Legaspi. Yes. In Bicol. Yes. And, uh, that area is, is amazing. And yes. uh, it, I went down to the Caramoan Islands and mm -hmm. actually went to one of the islands that was on the Survivor Island. So the, the locals live on one side of the island and Survivor basically took over the other, the other half of the island. And, yeah. um, and that area is, so to get to there, we, we flew into the gas because they had their own airport. Then we took a three hour uh, minivan to the, to the port. And then we took a little boat. So we get there and this little boat shows up and there's about, I don't know, seven or eight of us. And we all looked at each other like, how are we all gonna fit in this boat with all our stuff? But we did, and, um, and the water was really, really choppy. And um, that region, the biggest attraction, if you can call it that, is um, is the volcano. Um, yes. Okay, the name of the volcano now. My, my, it's called Mayon. Mayon, volcano. Mayon, thank you. So Mayon is the volcano that's it. And you can basically see that thing from everywhere. Um, and it's very majestic. And going down to the Cameroon Island, they, it was like really choppy, like bouncy choppy. And I didn't think I was gonna make it, or <laughs> stuff was gonna make it. And coming back, it's like very quiet, very peaceful. Um, so no, I, I strongly recommend. Um, it, have you gone to the, the Bicol region as yet? Yeah, yeah, yes, I have explored that, that area. And on the hundred peso bill, um, it actually has the picture of Mayan volcano, and that's why oh, the, the currency here, pesos, and that's the hundred peso bill, which is about two US dollars. And there. Uh, probably Mayan volcano shines whenever people are using that bill in, uh, to purchase things. So yeah, it's an amazing place. You can rent out ATVs, uh, four uh -huh. by four quad bikes, and then you can uh, uh, travel and explore that area. Amazing. That's right, because I did remember when I posted my photos, you posted your photos on the mm -hmm. ATV. So yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Cool. Yes. Uh, yes. Kusha, have you been to have you been to the Philippines yet? No, I have not. Dude, you have to. You have to go. I know. <laughs> yes. Based on this interview, um, I, I think people, people around the world are going to want to come here to the Philippines because I, I hope the Philippine government is listening to this too because I'm, I'm such a big advocate of travel to this country. A lot of people bypass the Philippines. They'll go to like Bali, they'll go to Thailand, uh, other parts of Asia, but the Philippines uh, unfortunately doesn't get as much tourism. So I want to be a voice and uh, you know, people like Kervin that get, uh, are brought here by the tourism board to speak highly of the Philippines. And not just because they've been brought here, but because they really see how incredible the Philippines is and, and then they just rave about it, right? And it is, it, it, it absolutely is. Yeah. I had a, 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 one thing that really got me about the Philippines is one um, is the food. Um, they have amazing mangoes and, um, and, and, and just the people, the people are just so friendly. Um, they really genuinely want to help you and it's, it's difficult to see that in other places, but um, I, I love the Philippines.
Yeah, Kushe, what were you trying I know to you've had a lot of time. Sorry. Uh, uh, Ricky, I know you had a lot of time possibly to think during the days. Have you thought about where you want to travel next, apart from going to see the family first? Yeah, absolutely. I think about it all the time, um, you know, in terms of like, where's my next destination? Um, just on a general level, I want to do all seven continents. So I've done six of the continents and 81 of the countries. Um, I haven't been to Antarctica, so that's high on my bucket list, quote unquote, uh, to go do Antarctica and finish the seven of the seven, right? Um, I also, high on the bucket list is uh, Russia, uh, the biggest country in the world. I've been, I'm from Canada, the second biggest, and I've been to China, the third biggest, but I haven't been to Russia. I want to go to Moscow, St. Petersburg, and I want to badly, desperately, as soon as possible, do that Trans-Siberian from uh, St. Petersburg into mm, Moscow, okay. uh, across, across Siberia into Beijing. Yeah. Uh, so that's that, uh, across into Mongolia, too. So, yeah, Trans-Siberian is definitely high on the list as well. And I uh, want to do, uh, this question I could go on forever, too. Uh, I want to do more of Eastern Europe and more of the Middle East. I haven't been to Saudi Arabia. So I'd love to do that. And the big unexplored continent with a lot of travelers is Africa. So I'd love to do more of a sub-suburb, sub sub can't, can't pronounce it. Yes, sub-Saharan <laughs> Africa. Uh, want to do Victoria Falls, definitely. And want to see the Great Migration. I haven't done that either. Very cool. Um, geez, Ricky, um, we could really go on and on. But I, I'm, <laughs> I want to be very respectful of your time. Krishna, did you have anything else for Ricky? Actually, I have a lot of questions that could take hours, but we can, we can do that another time. Absolutely, right, okay. absolutely. Well, thank you. We're, so we're going to have to have you on. That's pretty clear, yes. right? Yes, <laughs> okay. yes, yes. So yes. Um, thank you so much. I, I mean, I really appreciate you coming on. And just so everyone knows, um, we are 12 hours apart. Or is it, is it 12, 12 hours? 13. 13 hours apart. So mm -hmm. um, we're up early in the morning, and Ricky's up late at, late at night. Uh, it's a little bit... So um, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Ricky. You're welcome. And uh, uh, I want to say thank you and teach a little bit of Filipino to everyone. And salamat. Thank you, uh, salamat in the local Filipino Tagalog language. So salamat, Kervin, salamat, uh, Kushro, and salamat, everyone, for listening and watching from around the world. And how do you say you're welcome? Walang, walang anaman. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Thanks again, Ricky. And we'll, we'll catch up soon. Yes, we will. Thanks, Kervin. Thanks, Kushro. And thanks, everyone, for watching. Thank you. Bye-bye, guys. Good night. Bye. Bye. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.